people of the internet. My name is Eugene. Welcome to another episode of Naval Gazing, the Valley Indies weekly podcast slash radio show heard Mondays at noon on WNHH 103.5 and that's New Haven's community radio station. You can also listen to this recording on iTunes, Facebook, I guess, YouTube, ValleyIndy.org, SoundCloud, Libsyn, Google Play maybe? I'm not even sure. Allow me to just sort of set up this episode. This is another interview Ethan Fry and I conducted. He's the other reporter at ValleyIndy.org. Conducted during the Great Give, which was May 2nd and May 3rd. Organized by the Community Foundation for Greater New Haven and the Valley Community Foundation. Raised over a million dollars for area nonprofits, the Valley Indy benefited as well. We used the Great Give as our annual reader drive. So we interviewed all kinds of people in 36 hours, uh, nonprofit leaders, etc. But we also just had, you know, town officials, city officials come in and, and shoot the breeze for a while. We tried to give people an idea of what the Valley Indy does every day, which is, you know, Breaking news, feature stories, uh, you know, two two people. It's just me and Ethan. We market the site in advance of the great give. I was cleaning toilets for our guests, so we do it all. Not to brag, but I'm just stating a fact. So in this particular episode, we had Tim Willis. He is the Seymour Deputy Fire Marshal come in. And we talked about an old open arson case from the town of Seymour from when uh, Tim was essentially a kid. And then we go into some fire prevention tips, which, uh, you know, fire prevention, you can just Google it. If you go to any city website in the United States of America, just about every municipality has a fire prevention part. We've all heard the tips. It's uh, something that's hard to keep fresh from a news perspective. But I tell you, Tim was so enthusiastic about smoke alarms, I challenge you not to it's contagious so i thought it came alive with him so anyway without further ado this is uh and i should also note that this was recorded live it was broadcast on facebook on the valley indies facebook page so the audio quality is not it doesn't match what you're gonna listen to or what you're listening to right now it's not quite as good but give it a couple of minutes and you'll get used to it okay now i'll shut up here's Seymour Deputy Fire Marshal Tim Willis. Thank you. Uh, 
<laughs> hey everybody, we, are, we intentionally had the microphone off, which is new for us. Usually we, we forget we've muted the mic and then we start an interview <laughs> and then somebody on Facebook will say, we can't hear you. That, this was actually intentional. We let the, the video roll. So we did our little intro for day two of The Great Give and our first guest this morning is Seymour Deputy Fire Marshal Tim Willis. Tim, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I know you've been going strong for the past uh, day, and I appreciate you having me in. We're going to talk a bunch of things this morning. And uh, that, that beeping you hear in the background is not a fire alarm. I don't want uh, Tim or anyone else to be concerned. That's just Ethan's coffee. Coffee's ready, dude. So one thing we would <laughs> thought... Uh, Sorry, we're the, our sound is working. I just Oh, yeah. Oh, we're and, we're, and we're live and on valleyindy.org. We're live on Facebook, uh, donate.valleyindy.org. So we thought we would talk about, somehow randomly at one point uh, in, our, in our travels, uh, I uh, often, if, if there's a fire in Seymour and I make it there, uh, uh, Tim Willis is the person you talk to. He's the fire department's public information officer. And, and somehow or another, we started talking about an old uh, case in Tritown Plaza? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a cold case, I mean, per se. It's still a, it's still an open case, so uh, I have to be a little careful with what I do say, but we can talk about it. We can go to some detail, and uh, it was actually well before I was in the office, as I'm sure our uh, viewers know at this point. And uh, this was a, this was a, because, you know, I, I wasn't raised in the Valley, like, and we're talking about 1993. Yeah, was, February was, 1993. February 93, there's a, a, a big fire at, Tri and was it Tritown Plaza at the time? It, what was there? Like, it was Tritown Plaza, but the base store, it was Ames, was the big <laughs> store, which was there up until into the 2000s. Big Y was at the other end, and then where the movie theater is now was a bowling alley called mm -hmm. Ansmore Lanes, and that okay. was one of the popular areas in town. And you went there as a kid because you're... A absolutely. I remember going uh, Cub Scout bowlathons and eating pizza and, and bowling down there, you know, with the bumpers on each end and, and doing all that. So I, I, I remember going there all the time. And so then one night, was it uh, like the middle of the night, all of a sudden, I guess there's a call for structure fire. Um, actually, and, I mean, these are all things I can talk about. Um, there was a call for a burglar alarm at uh, one of the liquor stores right there right after midnight. And as the police officer was responding, all of a sudden, uh, Ansonia Police Department started calling Seymour and saying, hey, you got a fire. You got a big fire. And uh, they arrived on scene in the uh, bowling alley. There was a pet store, unfortunately, uh, a, a, a liquor store. And I think there may have been one other small store. Uh, I believe it was uh, an Electrolux, a vacuum uh, you know, dealer. And, and when they got there, unfortunately, the fire was through the roof. Walls were coming down. It was, uh, it was not something they were able to go in and extinguish. Oh, wow. Okay. And then that's sort of unusual in and of itself, with a, I guess, with a commercial structure to be that... And correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm just talking. No, no, I I'm just talking out of my butt here. Uh, fully involved, fully involved, up like that. Yeah. You know, it, obviously, it happens more at night because fires don't get recognized. Uh, but the building, uh, the building didn't have a fire alarm, <coughs> so uh, the first, you know, incantation, the first notification was when smoke started pouring out of it. And late at night, that part of the area, I believe, uh, someone at the gas station, which is still there today, it's uh, changed, uh, you know, which brand of gas, but that was still there then. Uh, someone working there called it in and, you know, called 911. And we should, if anybody is not familiar with what we're talking about, this is a, this is a shopping center in Seymour, sort of close to the Ansonia border, right off Route 8. And what's, what are the cross streets there? What is that? Uh, in, in, in Seymour, it's, it's Derby Ave, and actually Great Hill in Ansonia before okay, it comes yeah, into yeah. Right Great Hill and yeah, yeah. Fountain Lake Road in Seymour. So were there any injuries in this in this fire and um, as far as far as people there the buildings were all unoccupied at the time so there was no occupant injured um, I don't personally know firefighters I don't have any reports there was nothing serious 
but unfortunately there was a pet store, so there were some animals that uh, perished in the fire. And then, so what happens now at that point? Did were uh, did or were officials immediately sort of looking at this with a with a crooked eye, being like, "What's uh, going on?" Or raised eyebrow? What is that? I don't even know. Crooked eyes. Yeah. Uh, again, I was sleeping, you know, contently in my bed that night, getting ready for third grade the next night. <laughs> so uh, I I personally don't know their thought process, but uh, I do know that relatively early into the investigation. Uh, uh, at the time, it was called the State Fire Marshal's Office through the State Police. We still kind of refer to them, to you guys, as State Fire Marshal's Office. It's a little easier to explain, but that unit, specialized unit, came down to assist. And uh, pretty early on, I guess, they were able to figure out that, uh, I believe the report stated it was by human design. It was uh, intentionally set fire. And what led that? So you reviewed some. You reviewed this case before Absolutely. you came here today, just because we thought we would talk about it. So what? what did, how did they make that determination? Um, I, I, I guess the the timeline, you know, things in and out of there. Um, there were uh, there were some samples taken to the uh, the forensic lab that was done. I mean, 1993 seems not that long ago, but in some respects, it seems like an eternity ago. And uh, they, they sent some samples up to the lab. The, uh, the accelerant canines were alerted to certain areas, and uh, they were able to tell that there were uh, what we refer to as ignitable liquids, kind of a generic term for different things found in different areas throughout the businesses. So, oh, wow. And there are dogs specially trained to sort of sniff out, like, gasoline, I guess? or the, you know, Absolutely. Actually, when I leave like here in a little bit, I'm going to assist the state police with some of their canines. That's uh, what I'm driving straight from here to... Uh, to go do, they uh, they can alert. It's called. They'll actually they'll touch their nose where a sample is. I mean, even just a little eye drop of uh, some type of gasoline, diesel, whatever it may be. There's a whole uh, plethora of different chemicals, but uh, it, it's pretty impressive to watch. That's interesting because like the that that plaza is now used as a maybe not to train arson dogs or or the but it's it's used to train you know dogs absolutely uh, law, for for law enforcement. So it's. Uh, not now, ironic, but you had said uh, accelerants were placed throughout the businesses. So somebody had gone through and 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 laid out some type of liquid in, in several of the businesses. Or was I, it one I really can't tell for sure. I don't have the copies of the the state reports on that, but I do know they took samples from different areas, and I do know that different areas had had uh, accelerants. But mm. which ones I don't know. That wasn't even in our copies of the reports because the state really took over a good chunk of that. So, so it's unclear whether it was like the bowling alley and the yeah store yeah that that part I really can't go. Uh, it's not even that I can't go into detail. I just don't know that information. But uh, my my aspect of it again, I'm in third grade. I remember my father was a volunteer at the time. He told me how he froze that night. It was like 20 degrees that oh, night. Wow. You know, outside. I, I've seen a lot of videos of it. Some VHS tapes I watched not too long ago of it and uh oh how'd you come across those um i don't know whose they were but it was a friend of a friend of a volunteer firefighter had a copy of one of these videos and uh with the with the i still say package store all the time i know that's foreign if you're outside of this area but the packy the, the, the packy the the liquor store the kegs were actually believe it or not oh, blasting wow. off Jeez. and there's some oh, yeah. videos of those things launching like fireworks into the sky so uh it was a dangerous scene yeah, yeah. There was a when I was growing up, there was a, a dentist's office in my town that burned down, and like the the my brother's a firefighter, and like when the when it got to like the laughing gas canisters, oh, it was like a, a fireworks show, uh, like you know, obviously dangerous. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, I covered a story in New Milford where there was a there was a kegger, and uh, somebody threw oh, right, a yep. keg in a fire. And uh, one of the kids got hit with shrapnel, and that was case, that was yeah. the end of them. Yeah, yeah. We, we actually so. use that as a training exercise. Oh, really? You know okay. that 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 scene. 
Yeah, that was just awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what happens, uh, you can either, either generally speaking or, or specifically what you can share about this case, uh, what were the first steps in terms of trying to find whoever was responsible for setting this fire? Okay. Well, you, you have to start at the scene itself. And what we do, you'll hear us refer to it all the time, we, we, do, we do an origin and cause investigation. That's what fire marshals do, fire investigators do. And it's the two things, the origin, where did it start, and the cause, how did it start? You know, what brought that fuel and that uh, ignition source together? So you kind of work, one of the ways we work is we work from the least amount of damage to the most amount of damage. That steers us in the right direction. It doesn't necessarily mean that that is where the fire started. Sometimes there's a reason one area is more damaged than another. But it typically brings us closer into where the fire originated. Now, if we get there and we can rule everything else out and we have something, whether it's an ignitable liquid or maybe it's just an outlet that we have damage to, we can narrow down the cause to that area. So, in generalities, okay, we now have a fire that was intentionally set. Mm-hmm. So now we have to, you know, develop leads, and that's where a good working relationship uh, with the police departments and fire marshal's office comes in handy. Yeah, because um, you guys are working. Absolutely. Um, this is a plug to Seymour Police Department and their Detectives Bureau. We work fantastic together. Um, I can tell you over my uh, eight t- years full-time in the office, there's been numerous uh, arson fires and incendiary fires uh, Mm-hmm. The cause has been determined, and uh, you know suspects have been arrested and brought to justice because of them directly. So that's that's my plug to those guys this morning. And so I would I would think with this uh, uh, shopping center fire from back in February '93, yep. you said there were no witnesses because I would think very few eyewitnesses are tend to help. In oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, whether it's that or any other uh, crime, you know, some sometimes just dumb luck gets people uh, caught and someone in the right place at the right time. Whether a Law enforcement officer, or you know, some teenage kid who happened to see a car speed out of there—that's how these things develop. And I'm just having an epiphany. Wait a second. In oh, 1993. Boy. No, no, I'm not going to. I'm not saying we're just going to solve the case right here with Ethan. Wouldn't that be something? Right? <laughs> <laughs> Drop the mic. You were in third grade in 1993. Yeah. So, because I was a year out of high school, I didn't realize uh, I'm that old. Mm. Uh, so. From your perspective, you said uh, your dad was a volunteer. But yep. What were your now that you were processing this information the next day? The you know the bowling alley. I mean, I, I, you used to go to the bowling yep, yep. alley. So, what was your connection in your third grade mind? Uh, what was the news to you? As, well, it, as it's, a, the, the first thing I thought about as a as a third grader, a wee scamp at the <laughs> school in Seymour, was uh, there was a pet shop in there, and what happened to all these animals? You know, that's I'm still a sucker for uh, dogs and cats. Mm. Uh, I have a cat. I'm hopefully getting a dog next month. And uh, it was what happened to these animals. And uh, we had talked earlier, but I'll bring it up. Uh, there was a girl I still remember uh, that I went to third grade with. She had just moved here from Colorado. And uh, she had lived on a farm, and they wanted animals. And that weekend, I remember, she had gone in and bought a, bu- bought a bunch of animals. So uh, I'd like to think that she saved some of them. I really don't know the outcome, the numbers of animals or whatnot. I know there were a lot of fish in there. It was that type of store. But the, there were other animals in there. So that was my big worry. And then, of course, as I, any little kid, uh, you know, worried about make sure Dad was okay. Mm. And uh, I, I think his extent to the fire that night was sitting in a fire hydrant that was frozen you know, for, for eight hours or whatnot. But that's my thought as I wake up in the morning and find mm. out this fire occurred. And then, and I apologize for skipping around. No, uh, no worries. So, you, you, you know, you, there's the initial stages of the mm. investigation. Uh, police come in. 
I would imagine, uh, like, did the investigators look through, uh, what, was there any demo work going on? Were there any permits pulled? Absolutely. And then I would think they, they have to call in the owner of the shopping center, the owners of the businesses, to get an idea of where they were. When this happened, someone's been watching CSI. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I've never actually seen it. I, he makes me watch the intro all the time with that redheaded guy, the David Caruso, yeah. David Caruso, yeah! in his career. Um, yeah, it, it's it's funny you say that, but that that's how the investigation works. And thankfully, again, with working so well with our detectives bureau, we're able to kind of do that simultaneously. We're having police officers go out and interview mm -hmm. people that were in the area, neighbors, people that may have driven by. Um, I'm reaching out to utility companies. We're trying to find out if any permits were pulled, just like you said. And, of course, you need to start with who owns the building and who was the last person in the building. And, and those sometimes steer you in the right direction. Sometimes they're dead ends. But it's an avenue you have to follow up. And what were some of, the, what were some of those details uh, connected to this specific case? Did those lead anywhere? Do you, have, do you know who the last in the building I, was? That or? part I don't know. It's um, The case file is quite extensive and again, a bunch of it is sealed because technically speaking, 24 years later, this is still a, a non-active but open case. Um, I mean, I'm not banging down doors any day looking for this, <laughs> but uh, who knows, maybe this will spur someone to give me a phone call and say, hey, I heard this. You never know. That's what we I'm not looking for that, but <laughs> you got I'm, I'm not going to say no. But when you walked in, you kind of had a twinkle in your eyes because obviously, I mean, reading the, this case file, yeah. this isn't is an, uh, an open case. And, like, have you, have you uh, had any experience uh, either directly or indirectly where, where an old arson Because you always hear, like, you know, cold case murders, and, and those get uh, eventually solved. But I would think something like this is probably much tougher because... Oh, no, absolutely. And, I mean, it's it's... Just like you, you, you see on these, uh, I watch all these, I'm a nerd, I watch these Discovery ID channel shows mm. on old cold cases and stuff. And sometimes it's just that simple of somebody calling up and saying, hey, I thought about this 10 years later. Somebody told me this. And, and follow-ups do happen. Now, I'm not looking for that, and I have never personally had one of those. I have had fire investigations that subsequently wound up being linked to old fires that we had later on that we've uh, followed up and and. Sometimes it's just dumb luck. Do you have any theories based on your review of the case file of this uh, old arson? Uh, what might Gee, have happened? Um, that I don't. Uh, you know what? After reading through everything, I've never put my take on it. I don't know. Maybe just because it's it's so hard as an outsider just looking through old stuff. Hmm. I, I mean the the report and. Uh, I I don't want to I don't want to throw him under the the bus, but the the original investigator uh, I actually spoke with him the other day, just saying, hey, I, he's no longer in the area, but I wanted to talk to him and say, hey, I'm going to be talking about this fire, and uh, I never really put a spin on it. I mean, I I trust him 100. percent The state police investigation, his investigation, um, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms was involved at the time. Why were they involved? I don't know why the initial call was made. Um, I think it was just the large scale of it. It was a big building, multiple businesses, and again, they knew pretty early on that there were, this was intentionally set. But uh, I really don't know the motivation that called them in. And uh, the investigator you just mentioned, uh, how did he, did he, can you uh, characterize generally how he viewed the case? Uh, was there any point where they felt like they had hit a, a dead end. Did they have any leads that they pursued immediately? You know what, or? from what, I, what I've read, I mean, they interviewed, they, you start with mm. who owns the business and who are the last people there, and I don't think it really steered them anywhere uh, 
anywhere that they needed to go or that they had to go. So uh, it, it's really one of these dead-end cases. I hate to say that. And now kind of I'm, I'm going in my head as we're talking, going, wow, wouldn't that be funny? We're going to solve this in another made a call. minutes. Yeah. And then you're going to sing the Italian national anthem. <laughs> right, right. Hey, if you donate right <laughs> now. No, that's a, donations are Is not it usually help. like, uh, I mean, obviously, if, if a person, you know, owns a business and like, you know, and like this, we're not saying this, I'm not suggesting this is the case, but if they, it's like an obvious, you know, if they own a business and it's failing and they torch it and try to collect on the insurance, uh, that's one thing. Like, are, are people? And let me just interrupt. That is the theory of every fire that happens on our Facebook. <laughs> people immediately go to that. Facebook investigators. Um, but in terms of like a person who's sort of has like a, a like a pyromaniac, is that still a term that people use? It, or? it still oh. is a term, but I I kind of I kind of think I know what you're asking. Do do, 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 are, do are like do do are, are arsonists like is it, is it like a compulsion that like they'll just keep doing it until they're stopped, or is it? I think there's a lot of motivation. Um, motivating factors I should say um, some people it's psychological some people do it financial gain mm-hmm. revenge mm-hmm. Um, vandalism I mean that's unfortunately mm-hmm. we see yeah, a lot yeah, of our yeah. arsons are 18 and under mm-hmm. and it's never meant to hurt anyone it's never really even meant to I don't want to say destroy it but it's because you're 10 years old 12 years old or yeah, some of these like, yeah, or like there's some unsupervised yeah, and you know yeah. it, it happens I, I set the woods on fire I'll admit it. And there's like I'll a lot of the, there's yeah, a lot of horrible. old totally. factory buildings in the valley, and like you know maybe there's a, a homeless person that's using trying to that like happens as well. Light I mean, a fire in a barrel or something, and it gets out of hand. I mean, I mean the, the the most famous one in this area was the Worcester Cold Storage, which is only a couple hours away. Right. Yeah. Um, that there were six firefighters killed, yeah. but that was caused by some homeless vagrants trying to stay warm in early December. So, I mean, there, there's lots of causes. Um, when I go in to do a fire investigation, I don't look at anything. I mean, I'm, I look at, let me take a step back. I don't look at one thing. That tunnel vision will definitely get you in trouble. Because people could be down on their luck, have financial problems, be going through a bad divorce, and have people that don't like them. And it still could just be a complete accident that had nothing to do with that. So uh, you really need to go in open-minded. And I'd be terrible at my job if I didn't go into every single fire open-minded. Because uh, I, I probably would have uh, not solved some of the fires that I was involved with coming up with a cause. And that Worcester cold storage, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like part of uh, you know the, the tragedy of that was that you know, that was an old industrial building that had been, you know, not in use for years years and years. And there was, like, changes to, like, the layout Absolutely. inside the building that they were, uh, they hadn't been aware of when they, they went in there, I guess. And, like, I, I, we were talking about this a little before we went on air, not that fire specifically, but, uh, you know, I'll see on, you know, Facebook, you know, uh, the different fire companies around the valley occasionally, they'll, as part of their training, it seems that, like, they'll try to familiarize themselves with the layouts of some of these buildings. Um, and, like, it's just part of that, uh, you know, obviously when a building catches fire, everybody sees everybody going and putting it out. But uh, the volunteer fire departments throughout the valley, I mean, it's, it's it, you know, they do a lot that you don't see. Um, yeah, certainly. Like, that's certainly. just one example, I guess. No, absolutely. Um, uh, I can speak for my municipality, but I know it's the same through each one of these Departments. I work with them regularly, you know, we interact, and, and that's one of the things we're doing, as we talked off camera earlier, doing walkthroughs of buildings before they're open to the public, kind of seeing layouts, getting arrangements, knowing that, hey, maybe this is a really bad area if something happens. Mm-hmm. We want to stay away, or we want to go to that area really quick to put the fire out. We don't want it to spread to a certain area. And, and that's the thing that uh, 
the volunteers around here really do, and I, I can't hype them up enough. I started as a volunteer. Yeah. Um, this whole valley is driven by volunteer firefighters. Yeah, that still blows my mind that it's all volunteer throughout the... Uh, especially in... Uh, this is my plug to Shelton Fire Department. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Three million square feet of office space. They're yeah. massive. I mean, they're, I don't mm-hmm. even... I can't even guess their population during the workday. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, yeah. they still do it with volunteer firefighters. So my hat's off to them, the entire valley. And uh, this is my plug for the entire valley. Uh, if you're bored and looking for something to do, you know, reach out to your local volunteer fire departments. They could always use membership. Mm-hmm. And how is Seymour doing in terms of membership of the volunteer fire department? You know, just like everybody else, uh, we, we, we do struggle. This year has been a great year. We've had a lot of young kids walk through the door. But uh, one of the problems, just like, and I'm speaking with all the towns, you get all these new enthusiastic young members, but you need to train them. Mm. And training costs are astronomical. Mm. Just to just to suit up a firefighter his first year, you're talking about five or six thousand dollars in equipment, and then you need to send him to fifteen hundred dollars worth of training, which that person he or she is going to do on their own, minimum of one hundred and fifty, one hundred and sixty hours. That's giving up Tuesdays, Wednesday nights, Thursday nights, Saturdays, Sundays. Um, I just uh, taught a class last night. It was the first night of a firefighter one. The the mm. you're a brand new firefighter yeah. class, and last night was the orientation. And I said to him, uh, "It's not just you taking this class. It's your your girlfriends, your boyfriends, your you know husbands and wives, your kids. Everybody in the family's making a commitment because yeah. it's not just uh, you know dad's away tonight and mm. you know he's missing out doing his thing. You know, families are missing out on family time because of it. So." Uh, to the Valley firefighters, the fire volunteers in the state, they do a great job. And uh, I think people miss, uh, you guys see it because you're out to those fire scenes late at night. But that's all time they spend away from their families. Yeah, that, that, that never ceases to yeah, amaze yeah. me. Uh, how about in terms of becoming a fire marshal, uh, your background a little bit. I think I know some of it. You went okay. to the uni- University of New Haven. Right? Yeah, uh, right? I went to the University of New Haven. Um, by the age of 22 years old, I had two bachelor's degrees, two associate's degrees, and didn't have a job. So uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to work in the fire field. You sound like a journalist. Yeah, right? It's... Uh, <laughs> It's very similar, you know, all this education, the, the, the nice prom dress and limo, but no dance, right? Mm. So uh, right, out of, right out of college, I had had the opportunity to go to the fire marshal school run by the state of Connecticut, and uh, it's approximately, it's changed a few times, I want to say about 16 weeks, it's 24 hours a week, you go three days a week. And uh, they teach you how to read the code books and do the fire investigations, which fortunately with my, uh, my degrees in fire investigation and, and fire administration, I, I knew a lot of this stuff, but I had to go through the state program. It made it much easier for me. Unfortunately, these classes are during the day. So really, the only people that can take these classes are if you already work for a career fire department and they're sending you to go, they're paying you to be there. Or, you know, my situation, I was 21 years old, just out of college, and I was still living with mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was able to make that sacrifice for three days a week where I could get away not working. But uh, it's even for that, it's mm-hmm. a huge undertaking. Yeah, was your age, because you were really young, was that so that was really unusual in that class? Were you the youngest I, in your class? I was far, the or? youngest in my class. Um, right now, I'm sure there's probably been some that are dramatically mm-hmm. younger than me. But even when I got hired in Seymour, I was uh, I think I had just turned 25. Again, we were talking off camera. I started full-time in Seymour the, uh, the month 
that the Valley Indy started. So uh, yeah, I, I didn't think, realize that. Uh, yeah, at the time. We're, yeah, we're right that. I, I told you. That's why you've been nice to us. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jody walked through the door. I think it was my second or third day, saying, "Hey, I, I, I'm starting this paper. I'm involved with, and uh, we'd like to, you know, get your info." And it's just uh, rolled from there. Oh wow! Look, the, at the usual was, reaction to Jody was, I, "Get away!" I he was good. Jody walked in with an FOI. Files, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's pretty funny. She'll be in later yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. To defend herself against your accusations, <laughs> um, you know, and then you, you would also mention. So, what, you know what? What does a fire marshal do generally? Like, what's the day to day? I feel like I'm on career day now. <laughs> well, um, you know, well, then I want to ask you. It, about, I'm trying to get you. I'm trying to butter no, you up no, to then ask you some specific boy. questions about a couple of unsolved. Okay, things. So, I don't know if you can. I'll, I'm just laying that out there. We'll, we'll go with it. Um, well, the fire marshal has a, a bunch of different uh, tasks to do. Um, we're statutorily mandated to do a lot of things, uh, much like a, a police officer is mandated to do certain things. So what we do, our, our, our primary bread and butter day to day is, is fire inspections. Going into buildings, whether they're a, anything other than one and two family is really the generic way I put it, put it. One and two families are kind of exempt from us, but everything else we go in, whether it's annually or every two or three or four years, make sure exits are clear, make sure fire alarms are working properly, sprinkler systems, uh, all these different things. Uh, make sure, uh, especially, I can speak in my town, we have a lot of old three-family houses, mm. which uh, whether it's a three-family house or you know a 30-story high-rise apartment building, we still treat it the same way. It's the same fire code that takes place. Mm -hmm. So we make sure that they're safe. They have working smoke alarms, which is huge for everyone, whether you're in a one-family or, you know, a 400-unit building. Yeah, we wanted to talk about that, too, because you had mentioned specifically some fire prevention things. A a absolutely. So the uh, big thing is the smoke alarms in your homes. And uh, I feel like there's kind of a stigma. I hate asking people, hey, do you have smoke alarms in your homes? Because the answer is always yes, whether they do or don't. Mm -hmm. but, the, but the fact of the matter is most people probably don't have working smoke alarms. And it's, it's astonishing to really think that. But the question I say is, okay, you have smoke alarms. Are they working? Oh, yeah, of course. Well, how do you know? Mm -hmm. And when I ask them, how often do you check your smoke alarm? I get the, the, the textbook cookie cutter, well, every six months. Well, that's supposed to be when you change your batteries. You should be checking them uh, every month. Mm -hmm. And uh, my little house in Seymour that I own, I have 14 smoke alarms. I know my fiance. I walk her around. Every time we change the clocks, I make her do it. That's every six-month check. But I do it once a month. And uh, I, I know this is crazy, but you should be too. Well, month. let me ask you, though, because you have 14 smoke detectors. How many square feet is your house? Uh, with the finished basement. It's actually 2,200 square feet. 22, so it's, okay. it's, it's pretty good size with the finished basement. But, uh, and so where, I, do, I where do you put those? Because I, I have a 1,900 square okay. foot house built in 1960 uh, you know, in Derby. And uh, it's a it's a it's a one and a half story cape, and like if I'm up in the uh, the my son's bedroom, on one the, of the sides upstairs. Yeah, and in the back of the house, it's it's a two it's a one and a half story, but we're on a hill, so yep. it's, it, it's like 19 stories. Yep, and it always makes me a little nervous. That's the valley for was, you. That's a, right, right. Yeah, from the front, it looks like, but it, then there's a big drop off. But I always I always think in the back of my head, well, if there was a fire and it started in my garage, he's way up in this corner. It would it's it's kind of a a dangerous setup, just the way they set up the house. So, where do you put the smoke detectors in in, in your house? Now, here I don't have fourteen. Here is Fire Marshal Tim going into the you know the let me tell you something. It's um, <laughs> every sleeping area needs to have a smoke alarm. Every bedroom needs to have one inside the bedroom itself. 
and then you want to have one outside of all sleeping bedrooms. So I'm assuming a cape, you probably have two or three, typically two bedrooms up on the second yeah, floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, maybe a bathroom in the middle. Exactly. It's a good idea to put one in that hallway. You want one. Okay. In, you can get away with one for the two bedrooms right but there. each bedroom and the hallway. And then uh, I'm assuming there's another bedroom downstairs. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, this is what firefighters are thinking when we're going up to a house at night. What might be that layup? Mm-hmm. So we're trying to, you know, because we're going to try to search bedrooms and stuff like that first. So downstairs, you'd want one in your bedroom and then outside that area. The big thing is every level of your house. So I have a two-story house, but I have them in my attic. I, I have them all throughout the house. The kitchen is basically the one place you don't want them. Everywhere else, put one in. And why not the kitchen? Because uh, much like some people... Um, People use it as a, a timer for their food. You know, if the smoke alarm's going off, maybe the food's cooked a little too much. That, so, uh, you know. Really? Like, that I, Eugene likes his steaks well done, I guess. I was going to say, that's like the bachelor's life when you're doing that, when you're just like in the, in the living room and letting but, the smoke But it, happen, it happens more than you think. So wow. what happens when the alarm keeps going off? Well, I'll just take it down today. Mm. And it doesn't get put oh, back wow. up. So uh, the big thing is, is not in the kitchen, but everywhere else, throw them in. Now, if you have a lot of apartments have bedrooms right off of the kitchen, a, a, a good solution for that, so you still have one outside, get a different type of smoke alarm. Um, there's two different types of smoke alarms. I won't bore the viewers. I won't bore you guys with it. I don't think but, this is actually yeah. but there's, there's You're making this interesting. <laughs> there's ionization smoke alarms, which is the ones we typically buy. That's what you see. And then there's what's called photoelectric. Photoelectric are less apt to go off to those cooking-type fires, so you don't get those nuisance alarms. I hate the word false alarm. I've been a volunteer firefighter before my job, going on 16 years, seven, uh, over 16 years. I don't think I've been to you know, a dozen false alarms at that time. I've gone to unwanted alarms, mm. nuisance alarms, but a false alarm is really, you know, there's something wrong with that device. Hmm. Most of the time, it's an unwanted steam from the shower, you know, maybe you burn something on the stove. It's not a false alarm, so I sorry to get on that soapbox about that, but I just and we're no, over yeah, yeah. So a photoelectric detector, though, it uses different technology, and, and that technology is less apt to go off to the the, the smoke from the, the 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 pan or the 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 steam from the shower. And then what you know when I uh, I mean I purchased my home in two thousand ten. Uh, you know, and I, I can barely change a light bulb. You know, I'll just throw that out there. So, like, just the act of putting up the, the yep. smoke detectors was a chore for me. Then I, I was overwhelmed with the choices. Do I get like the ones that are connected? That uh, if one goes off in the garage, suddenly it's like I've the got house, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's almost new construction. You have to do that, but like right? a comical yeah, voice yeah, comes absolutely. on. You know what I mean? It's like, right, warning, warning. It's like Will Rogers, whatever the, that old. Well, you know what? That Will Rogers thing exists for a reason, though. Uh, do you the, recommend getting those? Or like, the, I, I didn't know if which you one. have children, um, there's nothing wrong with that. There's okay. been a huge study done, and uh, actually the Houston Fire Department spent a lot of money on this in the early 2000s, and uh, they were finding that uh, adolescents, you know, up to about the 11, 12-year-old range, that beeping would go off. They wouldn't wake up. Um, physiologically, I don't know why it happens. I don't think they were able to prove why a, a child sleepers. doesn't wake up to that wow. beeping take them out of that deep sleep, but they're more apt to wake up to a voice. And uh, They actually sm- sell smoke alarms where you can program your own message. So, uh, you know, maybe mom or dad's voice is a little uh, more apt to get them up. So it's not a bad idea. Oh, uh, Price-wise, I don't know what it costs. But, uh, yeah, because I felt like, is this some kind of, is this really a scam, or did I just go with the old one? It was a little, it was overwhelming as a homeowner to oh, decide what type of smoke detector to buy. Absolutely. So the big thing is, is get them. 
Get them. You buy a new home, get them. You have an apartment, you know, tell your tell your property owner they need to get them, but get them yourself. I'd rather you have more than enough. And again, uh, my fiance gives me a hard time a lot of times because there's there's 14 of them in our house. And, and, the- and down down in Derby, uh, uh, you know, I just realized as a, as you're talking, I never returned this call. I apologize to Mike Kelleher, the <laughs> Derby Fire Commissioner. I do this all the time to Commissioner Kelleher, but he contacted me. And said the Red Cross was giving away smoke alarms. Uh, do you, can, you, do you, Absolutely. can you give us details? I, I can actually speak on this. and I Because it could be expensive. The, the, the Red know? Cross is going to love this plug. Uh, they, they received a grant to put uh, 500 smoke alarms into Valley Homes by the end of this fiscal year, by July 1. Okay. And uh, I know that they're not getting a lot of calls on this. So uh, you can go on the American Red Cross's website. Um, there is a one eight seven seven number. You can call them. They'll come to your house and uh, install smoke alarms for you. Um, they're not looking to give you a hard time. They don't ask any questions. Um, it's not even need based. It's you know they're not going to question how much money you make or they're anything. Just looking to yeah. give. They, they want to yeah. keep people safe regardless of who you are. So uh, uh, go on the American Red Cross's website. Check it out and. Uh, they're, they're able to help you out, or uh, you can reach out to me in my fire marshal's office, and uh, I will uh, I will get you that right information. That's cool. Well, Tim, I've got one more question for Certainly. you. All right, there was the fire uh, here in Ansonia. Uh, you're the deputy fire marshal uh, volunteer-wise uh, in Ansonia, so if you can't answer yeah. this, you can't answer this. Uh, uh, it was two houses burned down. It was, okay. it was, it was just a, a, a terrible fire, yep. a big fire. Cold, mm. middle of the night. It was. Uh, I was actually there. Yeah, um, I remember seeing you uh, there. I was there assisting the acting fire marshal, uh, helping him out. I actually, uh, I got a call on the next morning from the uh, the previous fire marshal who retired and is uh, living elsewhere, that asking me how cold it was the night before. And uh, that was Ray Tingley. What, did he moved to Florida or something. Uh, he like he that? actually moved north, but uh, <laughs> strangely enough, it was the north and there's an night. exit sign right outside our door. I yeah, think it's was, because of him. Yeah, uh, one of those sure inspections you were talking. Yeah. So uh, it was quite a cold. Night. I remember uh, getting into bed that morning around eight thirty in the morning, and it was uh, it was about fifteen degrees when I pulled into my driveway the next morning. So uh, no injuries. Uh, uh, I don't right. believe there were any injuries at yeah, all that night. Brutal. Yeah, it, it was definitely a cold night. Can all. you tell us anything about the cause and origin, or is I, it? I don't actually know what is public or isn't. Uh, you'd have to reach out to them. I mean, uh, I defer to the higher ups, but uh, we tried nicely handled. I thought maybe if we got you talking enough, you would just yeah, be like, no. yeah, it was Ethan Fry. We know Ethan Fry. <laughs> I'm suspect. Song leaving the area. Hey, what about, and then, because we're going over, one other random thing I wanted to ask you about, and, and, and again, this is just, I have a fire yeah. marshal in front of me, so why not ask? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. There were those series of fires being set in Shelton and Derby all along Roosevelt Drive. Maybe absolutely. Seymour caught a few uh, of Actually, those. we did. Um, the any, any, like, uh, I know that was, that was somebody going around just intentionally, we think, maybe, setting um, brush There was a state or? task force involved with that. It's relatively dormant right now. Unfortunately, that's another one I have to leave it at that, but uh, there's multiple municipalities involved, and uh, it's been relatively quiet for a while, so we'll try to keep it that way. But it's, it's still on the radar. It is. Still on it, yeah. Like November is, is, is it like the worst time when, when all that those leaves are dried out? and like. so glad you asked this, Ethan, because I would have never brought it up. The worst time of year for brush fires is April. Okay. April into early May. We're right at the end of it. And the reason is, is there's no leaves on the trees. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks it's all the leaves on the ground that are the problem. It's not. Hmm. It's the springtime. There's no leaves on the trees. So what happens is we get rain. The next day the sun comes up, all that water evaporates. Everything dries right out. In the fall, when there's still some leaves, the, the ground stays wet 
and the fires aren't as apt to burn. But April, worst time of the year for brush fires. So, uh, you know, so, definitely if you it, it, it doesn't just go for suspicion. If you see something, say something. You see a fire, call 911. And there's been a couple of big brush fires yeah, the past yeah, couple they, of weeks, yeah. right? Absolutely. Right at that peak. Uh, and I tell people every day to check that uh Connecticut Forest Fire Danger. Uh, mm -hmm. It's on the DEP's website. You can Google it. Smokey the Bear pops up and yeah. tells you what we're at for the day. Yeah, so, yeah. It doesn't actually tell. As you. an ex-smoker, <laughs> if you if you're a smoker, don't you know? Be careful about that sort of thing. Absolutely. Uh, where you're ashing your butts. Another reason not to smoke. <laughs> All right. Not that's that it. Uh, I want to thank you, Tim, uh, for for coming on Absolutely. and uh, and agreeing to do this. You know, I just just uh, I can't thank you enough um, yeah, for doing it live on Facebook and, and on our on our web page. Uh, and uh, if people want to get in contact with the or stay uh, attuned to the goings on of the Seymour Fire Marshal's office, you have a Facebook page. Right? Absolutely, we do. Um, and we get a lot of messages through that. I think people oh, are more really? apt, and I'm sure it's the same with you, to message you than they are to call, email, or whatnot. Um, so you can find us on there. I'll throw the link up on the Valley Indy today. And uh, we can go from there. Yeah. And so if, it's, uh, yeah, if you just search Seymour Fire Marshal's office, it, it pops right up. So, And I'll put that uh, awesome. under this video, too. All right. And so we got you got some uh, comments. Oh, positive oh, comment. Marin Kate says, we love you, Tim. Great job. Matt Molnar just says, Timmy. So, <laughs> Those Joe, are my favorite comments. Jody Gill says, hey, I'm watching this, so sorry, Jody. Hi, Jody. She, she did yell at me when <laughs> Thank she you for coming in eight years ago. seven chess. <laughs> I apologize because I was sitting here, and none of the none of those comments. Yeah, I, I just up. thought to hit refresh. Yeah, so I apologize because we we like to read those as they're happening. But uh, anyway, hey, you know I'm not perfect. So donate to the Valley Indy. Maybe they'll replace me. Donate that Valley Indy. <laughs> Tim Willis, thanks a lot. Thanks I'm going to mute this, and then we're going to do some hand gestures as if we're talking, but we're, we're actually not. Uh, so because I need to.
the dinosaur. 